to the folks out there, some who are down sick, uh, Tyler who's on the mend and many others as well. Folks who are here throughout the area of the region, up and down the east coast, throughout the north and uh, the midwest and uh, the, the west and the, the mid-south and folks down in the deep south. We've got folks all around and around the world and praise God, all of us. If we've been saved, we've been saved by grace. We're just sinners saved by grace. If you haven't got one of our bulletins, you can scroll down and tap the right place. And there's all kinds of wonderful uh, information about the Bible. Inside, we preached on the Bible and we're applying the Bible. We are a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, Bible-reaching, Bible-behaving church. And uh, so glad tonight that uh, we have the Word of God. And uh, we'd like to, of course, invite you this week to come online with us. We've got many things going on. Don't forget Wednesday night, midweek service, 730, as we work verse by verse through the book of 1 Corinthians. And then on Saturday, we meet at 9 o'clock to clean and at 10 o'clock to go out on visitation and follow-up. And uh, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, we're going to continue our training for uh, the... Uh, Fair Booth Ministry, Soul Winning Fair Booth Ministry. Don't miss out on that 2 o'clock and be back with us next Sunday, the fifth Sunday of the month, and we're going to have some very special things going on. All right, pray for the fair. The fair ministry is August the 12th through the 20th, and I'm excited about all the souls that are going to get saved and all the folks are going to be reached, and we're going to do some follow-up, so praise God. We'll have well-trained folks out there. Thank you so much for being a part of the ministry. There are some long books in the Bible. There are some that when you start, for example, if you start reading verse by verse through the Psalms, you're going to be there for a while. And uh, other uh, long books, the prophets, Genesis, others are very long. Some are shorter than others. And one of the short little books in the New Testament is Philemon. It's just before Hebrews. And if you would go with me there, please. Philemon, one chapter long, written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, probably around 64 A.D., just prior to the time when uh, he is going to eventually give his life. But uh, these are in the waning years, the final years of his life as he uh, continues to serve the Lord faithfully. doesn't matter what's down the road, folks. doesn't matter what's around the corner. God knows we walk by faith and not by sight. And in the book of Philemon, we find out that God's really got some interesting twists and turns on the road of life and we're going to cross some paths. It is a small world, a small world. I'll never forget. Uh, I was with my brother and I'm trying to remember why I was, but I was on the bus and his group uh, had traveled. I think I was down preaching in that area and I had the night off. And so I went with my brother on his group bus to a concert and uh, stopped at a hot dog place only the best, uh, at a hot dog place to eat and walked in. And I, as was my case and is my case yet today, I took out a tract and began to witness to a young man there and sat down with him and he took some time. And lo and behold, I found out he was the son of a preacher back in the very town where my brother was living. And so it was very interesting. And the things, the people that he knew and the things that we recounted, the events, it's a small world. What are the chances? What are the chances? Another time, my wife and I were, uh, were traveling uh, out of Georgia, and we took a certain route. And uh, as, uh, as we stopped in a uh, certain 
uh, rest stop, rust area to get gasoline and refresh. Uh, saw an individual and he called me by name and it turns out he was an in-law of a member of our church here. What are the chances that that would happen? One in the millions, of course. Maybe, maybe much uh, less odds than that, but it happened just the same. It's a small world and you cross paths with people and uh, I believe that God is in control of those supposed chance meetings. I believe that God has a reason. Every person whose path we cross, we're to be a witness, we're to be a blessing, we're to be a help. It's not by accident. It's not arbitrary. It's not incidental. There are no accidents with God. So when you meet somebody, you're talking to somebody, that's a divine appointment. God has placed you there to be a witness, even if it's for a matter of mere seconds, just an instant. We're to be what Jesus Christ would be in that setting. We're to represent Him. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Now, an interesting thing happened in Rome. Paul was a prisoner in Rome, and something is about to happen that we're going to see in this little book of Philemon. I want you to look at verses 17 and 18 tonight. Verse 17 and 18 of this one-chapter book. It says in verse 17, If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. Now, Paul is writing to Philemon. That's why the letter is named Philemon. Paul is writing to Philemon. Philemon is the father of the, uh, without a doubt, the pastor of the church there. And Philemon is a Christian businessman, a Christian gentleman. And so he is writing to Philemon and he says, if thou count me therefore a partner. In other words, if we are truly brothers in Christ, if we're Christians, if we share that, then then receive him, receive this other, this third party, as myself. This is called identification. Identification. Now move on. Verse number 18. If he hath wronged thee, that is if the third party has wronged you, Philemon, since we're brothers, we're Christians, he says this, or oweth thee aught anything, put that on mine account. Now we have a picture in verse 17 of identification. We have a picture in verse 18 of imputation. Both of these are New Testament Bible doctrines. I will guarantee you that people who only attend church on Sunday morning or occasionally do not know doctrines from the Word of God. We ought to know the doctrines, know what the words are, what they mean, and know how to apply the truth. Tonight we're going to teach you, we're going to help you, and uh, so tonight let's go to God in prayer and ask for His filling and direction. Lord, we pray for the filling of the Spirit, the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit. Teach us in this little book, we pray, things that we need to know, things that we need to apply. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a brief little letter, but it is a clear declaration of the heart of Paul. On a very practical level, we can see how the heart of Paul works, and how we ought to be tender-hearted on a practical daily basis. Don't let everybody take advantage of you. Don't be a doormat, but be tender. Uh, Don't let people scam you. It's not right for you to allow that because you are the temple of the Holy Ghost and, and you are a steward of the things that God has granted you to take care of and be manager over. So you shouldn't let people scam you. But by the same token, you shouldn't be so suspicious of everybody that you never develop any kind of a relationship with individuals and use that relationship 
for an advantage in leading them to Christ or helping them to, to know how to walk with the Lord. Here we find the Apostle Paul had a soft heart. He had a soft place in his heart, even for wrongdoers, even for people who have done wrong. And so here we have in Paul an illustration of what Jesus Christ has done for the believer. What Paul is doing for this third party, his name is Onesimus, he's a runaway slave. And what Paul is doing in behalf of that runaway slave is what Jesus Christ has done spiritually for you and me. First of all, there is that identification, and then there is that imputation. I have reversed the order. Uh, imputation teaches us that we have been released from a debt because God counts us as having paid that debt, but it's been paid through the finished work of Jesus Christ. So as Paul says, if he owes you anything, put that on my account. Jesus is saying, put that on my account. Isn't that something? We've got a Savior who is willing to take the debt. He paid a debt I could not pay. You know, I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid the debt I could not pay, as the little chorus goes. And so we have the release from the debt. And then we have the reception. The reception is based on identification. Because we identify with Jesus Christ, therefore we are accepted in the Beloved. Now there's a difference between being accepted and being acceptable. Put it down. We are accepted by virtue of who Jesus Christ is and that we identify with Him and He identifies with us. So we're accepted in the Beloved. Now we're only acceptable when by the grace of God we live up to that standard. But even though we're not acceptable, we're still accepted in the Beloved because of identification with Jesus Christ. So the two phases of this little short letter I receive him as myself, that's our identification with Christ, and put that on mine account, that's imputation. Our sins are laid on Jesus Christ, and this great truth is a great comfort. We don't have to do anything to stay saved. We don't have to do anything to earn salvation. Remember, remember, it's been done in our behalf. Now Philemon, the man to whom this letter is addressed, and to whom it is carried by Onesimus, the runaway slave who is being returned. Philemon is a well-to-do Christian in the city of Colossae. We see, we see this uh, uh, in Colossians, and we see it in Philemon here, that it is listed. Philemon is very possibly the father of Archippus, who is the pastor of the church. Uh, he's the pastor of the church at Laodicea. And uh, there was an assembly as well, a church meeting in Philemon's house. Now, what do you think about house churches, preacher? Well, that's what they have in China. What do you think about house churches, preacher? That's where most churches start, in somebody's house. But what do you think about house churches? There's nothing magical about whatever building you meet in. And there is nothing glorious about staying small. So eventually, you're going to outgrow the house. If you're going to do anything for God, if you're going to win souls, you're going to outgrow the house. And Quite often, people will not come to somebody's house unless they have a relationship, but they will come to a building that says church building on the outside, and people will come, or they'll come to a storefront, or they'll come to a school building that's set up and is having church uh, meetings there. Uh, they'll come to a neutral building more likely than they'll go to some stranger's house. So when people say, oh, we have a house church, well, that's wonderful. 
that's glorious when you consider that's where churches get started. That's where, uh, that's where people uh, show themselves friendly. Uh, there's hospitality. Uh, they're willing to do that. But I've got to tell you, these, for example, the Amish, Amish folks, we go up to Lancaster County and we enjoy the food. We enjoy uh, the artifacts and the little shops and so on and so forth. But when we talk about the Amish, they take the furniture out of their house on Sunday. They trade houses, you know, the old Amish. And they go from one house, and then they're scheduled to be in your house next week. That means all of your wooden furniture is going to be carried outside. And if there's a snowstorm or a rainstorm, that's too bad. You carry it to the barn, I guess. And they're going to meet in the house, and they're going to set up, uh, you know, benches or whatever so that you can meet in there, women on one side, men on the other side. And they're going to have old order Amish services. You say, how quaint. It's quaint. It's kind of cute. But there's nothing intrinsically spiritual about it. Are you listening to me? Say, oh, the Amish lifestyle, the Amish worship, the Amish. Yeah, many of them are trusting their works for salvation. They're not trusting Jesus Christ. Yes, they're old-fashioned. Yes, there's no doubt about it. They're, they're not going to be carried away by some of the externals of this world. But you can be just as lost in your heart and be Amish. And so uh, they're wonderful people. I enjoy them very much. I don't take advantage of them. I, I certainly don't think any less of them. But there is nothing spiritually uh, superior about having a church meeting in your house or having it uh, in a, a lodge hall or, or having it in a school building or having it in a restaurant or community building. Uh, wherever you meet, is wherever you meet, the church is the people. The church is not the building. Everybody understand what I'm saying? And so that's it. They happen to have a, a church in the house because that's where they were meeting, in Philemon's house as well. And uh, he had been won to Christ through uh, Paul's ministry. We see in verse 19, I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it, albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me, even thine own self beside. So we believe this means that at some point in time, on one of the journeys, Paul had led Philemon to Christ. Possibly, maybe at the neighboring city of uh, Ephesus, uh, since Paul hadn't been to Colossae personally, maybe that's where it was. But Onesimus is the third party we're speaking of. He was one of Philemon's slaves, as it says in verse 16. Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. What he had done is he had run away. That was a capital crime in those days. And let me just say, on the subject of slavery or any other social issue, don't get sidetracked on social issues. I'm against slavery. I'm against uh, racism. I'm against mistreatment of people based on this or any other consideration. But we need to remember that that was an established institution in the Roman Empire. And since it was not a representative uh, uh, democracy or a republic like ours, uh, it was impossible for the Apostle Paul, even though he was a Roman citizen, to do anything about changing the Roman government's view of slavery. That was going to stay the same, and it would. It would take a civil war, in our own nation, it would take a whole lot of legislation in Great Britain and around the world to outlaw slavery. Slavery is still going on. There's slavery in, um, in China, the Uyghur people, uh, the ones that probably uh, are putting together, gluing together LeBron's uh, shoes that he sells uh, for the shoe company. They're, they're, they're slaves. The Uyghur people are slaves. They're, 
There are Islamic people that are enslaved in China, and yet we do business with China. Go figure. Go figure. All across North Africa and throughout Asia, there is slavery. There's all kinds of slavery in different forms. And we do not approve of it in any form, but it was just a fact in Roman times and Bible times as well. There was slavery. There was, there was indentured servitude for those who got themselves in debt. Now, there was a form of bankruptcy every seventh year. You know, the debts were, were, uh, were uh, re redeemed or forgiven, and that's very true. But also, between times, if you got yourself in bad debt, you might end up being an indentured servant. Indentured servitude was uh, part of the British Empire and the entire colony of Georgia. Anybody been to Georgia? We lived in Georgia. Georgia was established as a colony of indentured servants, people that were paying off debts. Instead of going to debt or prison, they went and worked in Georgia. So there you have that. All kinds of slavery. The Romans and the Greeks uh, and the people in the uh, Mediterranean at that time brought multitudes of slaves home from their wars, and the buying and selling of slaves, as terrible as that is, was a part of their daily life. And Paul had an interest in servants or slaves. He speaks of them. We try to make application to the Scripture when it speaks of servants obeying the masters. Uh, it's kind of like employees obeying the employers. And we understand that's as close as we can come in our free society. But uh, nevertheless, that was an issue. This does not become the primary focus of what Paul is saying. And all those people who think that they're going to get some kind of crown in heaven because they got involved in social work are sadly mistaken. First and foremost, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We need to be most concerned about the salvation of souls. That's it. That's it. So let's suppose, let me give you an example. Here's a modern-day American example. Let's suppose that you happen to be out someplace and... Uh, uh, still in the south, they have, uh, they have prisoners chained together doing road work on the chain gang. How many of you have seen them on the chain gang? Sure, still, still going on. Texas, uh, Mississippi, Alabama, still got chain gangs. They're out there doing road work, and they're chained together. Other places, you'll see uh, the, uh, uh, the guard with them, and he's got a shotgun, and they've got bright colored outfits on. Sometimes they look like striped pajamas. Sometimes they... They have uh, other iridescent colors on them. You can't get very far that way. And uh, they might have other detectors on their person. But if one guy all of a sudden waits for the guard to turn his back and he heads out through the field, it's not going to be far. They'll put the dogs on him. They'll find him. He's not going to get very far. That's it. They're out there doing the road work. Let's suppose you're driving along. You say, look at those poor guys. It's 115 degrees out there. They're working so hard. They don't get a rest. Why? They don't have anything to drink. Why? Those poor people. And you get out. And you start berating the guard because those people have inhumane, in your opinion, inhumane conditions. Now listen to me very carefully. As a born-again believer, that's not your first responsibility. Now we should want prison reform. We should want inhumane conditions to be corrected. That's true, but that's not your number one concern. Your number one concern is for the souls of mankind. Your number one concern is where people are going to go when they die. That's your number one concern. I care about prisoners. I went into the prison. I saw their conditions. I understood the difficulties. I've been responsible along with others for providing some comfort uh, things, some items to help out prisoners at various times. But 
The number one concern I had for prisoners was their soul salvation. That's it. And that's the number one concern of the Apostle Paul. He didn't get sidetracked on the slavery or the fact that Onesimus was a runaway slave. That was a fact he dealt with, but it was not his number one concern. His number one concern was the salvation of the soul of this runaway slave. So here it is. What are the odds? What are the chances that Paul is a prisoner in Rome and his path gets crossed by Onesimus, who's a runaway slave from Philemon, whom Paul had led to Christ years before? Well, that's just the kind of God we serve. God is in the business of bringing people to unlikely circumstances and situations together so that these things can occur. We've seen some of those God things happen this past weekend. We went up to a door and knocked on the door, and I had just prayed and talked about uh, how we'd like to minister to people of Islamic backgrounds, and Habib comes to the door. And, uh, and in just a few moments, I, I disarmed any hostility or any... any uh, uh, you know, resistance on his part, and we spoke, and uh, as we got into it, we said, you know, Habib, we would like to come back and speak to you sometime. He said, would you like some water or some tea? Immediately, he is offering us things. I said, I would love to come back and have some water or some tea with you. Can we just come back and dialogue and sit down and talk? Can we talk about Jesus and Muhammad? Can we do that? And he said, yes, we can. So there we go. Went on down the road a little further, came to Hasim. Hasim from Afghanistan. He was a little more resistant. But I said, Hasim, can we come back and see you? He said, yes. And I said, we will come back. And on down the road to Nastage. And Nastage is from the Sikh background. And Nastage, can we come back? And he started to offer us things. And we said, we'll come back. We will come back. And so we made appointments to go back and see them. And praise the Lord for that opportunity there. It's amazing the God things, the, the arrangements that God has for you to meet up with somebody that you had not had plans to meet up with, and guess what? It happened. In this place, in this time, God has an appointment. So praise the Lord. So Paul's letter to Philemon is a classic example of taking the part of the other person Standing up for the other person. In your lifetime, you ought to stand up for a few underdogs. There's a lot of top dogs running around. A lot of folks who think they're the big dog, the top dog. And you ought to just take the part of an underdog. And you ought to, you ought to look out for somebody that can't look out for himself or herself. And just do that. Onesimus was one of Philemon's slaves. And he had stolen from his master and had fled to Rome. And under the providential leading of the Lord, this runaway slave was brought in contact with Paul who led him to Jesus Christ. I can't tell you how many times after leading someone to Christ I found out that that person had been someplace and known someone or crossed paths with or been acquainted with a certain individual or situation with which I was acquainted and it was no accident that we were in the presence of of that person. Somebody else prepared the way. Somebody else spoke a few words. Somebody else was kind and aren't you glad? And as a result of that, that person comes to Christ. Now, Philemon, under the legal system of that day, could have been put to death for disobeying. But Paul stepped in to intercede, just like Jesus stepped in to intercede for you and for me. And as a result of that, 
We have been released from our debt in behalf of Jesus Christ. You and I never ever again have to think about the sins that have been committed past, present, and future in terms of salvation or justification. It's just as if I've never sinned. Praise the Lord. And so as Paul stepped in to save the life of Onesimus, Jesus has stepped in to save you and to save me. Praise the Lord. Here, the apostle had a great heart. and We ought to have a heart for people. We ought to have a desire. Did you have an inclination to speak to someone, to help somebody today? Did you, did you speak a word of kindness? Did you share the gospel with somebody today? We had the privilege of talking with someone today to show a little kindness to that server today. And that server recognizes from a previous, from a prior visit, and uh, we had an opportunity to show kindness and not impatience with anything. The meal was fine. The service was wonderful. But if something had not been perfect, that would be an opportunity. Listen to me. That's not an opportunity to complain for the Christian. That's an opportunity to say, I see you're having a rough day. You're having a tough day. Let me give you something that will help you on your rough day, on your tough day. And that's what you do. And that's exactly, I recall being at IHOP one time. You remember that? And there was a lady that was having a rough time and she spoke kind of roughly to us and we gave her a tract and we gave her um, a little bit extra in the, in the way of a tip and she went in the back and she was crying and she wrote on the back of a, of a, a piece of paper that she'd been visited by two angels today. And I, I, I'm no angel, but uh, you know, that's how God can turn it around. And that's how we ought to be. That's, there's nothing extraordinary about any of the stories that I'm telling you, anything I'm sharing with you. I don't think I'm special. I think that's the way Christians are supposed to be. We're supposed to be kind. We're supposed to be having these, these, uh, these uh, God meetings, these appointments, these divine appointments with individuals and sharing Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul also said how much he appreciated Philemon. He says so in verses 4 through 7. He says, I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints, that the communication of thy faith, that is, is witnessing or sharing of it, may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. You know how a witness is effective? You tell people how God has blessed you, how Jesus Christ has done you so well. He has treated you so well. And you share that with people and they realize that you have a personal walk with the Lord and He is real to you. And they need something like that. They need someone like that in their life. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Now the word bowels as it's used in the New Testament does not mean the intestines uh, as we think of them. But rather this refers to the seat of the emotions. Uh, you know, the, the Central American Indians, when the Bible was translated into their dialect, instead of, uh, I have you in my heart, I have you in my stomach, because they, they thought that that's where love was felt and experienced was in the stomach. And uh, the, the Romans and the, the classical Greeks of that time thought that the seat of the emotions was the viscerals. And so that's why we have the word bowels there. And it seems a little strange to us because we don't talk that. We don't even mention that. But... That's what he's saying. He's saying, you know, you've, you've lifted the spirits of people. You've made people feel better, Philemon. You're, you're a good guy, Philemon. You're a great Christian 
businessman, father of the pastor of the church of Laodicea. You've got a church in your house. Maybe it's a branch church. We don't know. But uh, there you are. You're doing all these wonderful things. Now, Onesimus has run away. And under the law, he could be killed. But I tell you what, receive him as you would receive me, identification. And if he owes you anything, put that on my account. That's imputation. Identification, imputation. Paul is doing what we should do. Paul is doing what Christ has done. So when we do that sort of thing, guess what? People see Jesus in us. Now, that's not a real big deal, but, you know, we have never thought about the money that passes through our hands as being our money, have we? Not really. We count it a high and holy privilege to use it in the service of the Lord. And I'm very thankful that we've been able to do that through our life. And this is the kind of person I'm sure that Philemon was. He was a generous man. Paul, likewise, had that same kind of spirit. Paul was not rich, but Paul didn't let it stick to his hands. Didn't worry about the material things. Didn't worry about the temporal considerations. He was a creature of eternity. Are you a creature of eternity? He was not limited by time and space, but rather, even though his, his feet were on terra firma, his spirit was in heaven, in glory already. He was seated in the heavenlies positionally with Christ, and so he was acting like a citizen of heaven. We are actually citizens of two worlds. We're, we're got our, we have our feet here. We're involved. We, I mean, you've got you to gotta eat, sleep. You've got to pay taxes. You've got to pay your bills. We've got things we've got to do down here. We've got to interact with people. We understand that. But where are our sense of priorities in heaven? We are we're creatures, not of time or space, but we are citizens of heaven. That's the kind of person that Paul is. He wants us to identify in that way and be like he is and be like he's saying Philemon is. There it is. So Paul is writing to inform Philemon that his slave Onesimus was safe and saved. Isn't that good? Safe and saved. He got saved, man. Now, if Philemon wasn't right with God, he'd say, oh, man, that ruins everything. As long as this guy's unsaved, you know, I can just treat him like a slave. But now i got to treat him like a brother. And that's very true. However, Paul never says that you have an automatic benefit by being a brother in Christ that you don't have to do your job. You don't have to do your work. Nobody's got a free pass. In this world, we work by the sweat of our face ever since the fall in the garden. Everybody's got to work hard. So when it comes time for visitation, unless the pastor has a health issue, the pastor's going to go on visitation. And even at his age, he's going to do as many doors or more than anybody else does. I'm going to knock on those doors. I'm going to talk to those people. I'm going to witness. Now, that's not because I think I'm extraordinary. That's because I think that's normal for Christians. Christians ought to be willing to do their part in soul winning, do their part in cleaning the church building, do their part in teaching and singing and being in the choir and uh, being an usher, uh, in helping out in a class, in a ministry. We ought to do our part. Why? Because there are no free passes. That's why. And just because Onesimus got saved doesn't mean now he's not going to have to work anymore. And I know it's difficult for us to wrap our brain around in our particular 21st century American setting, 
But he's going to have to go back and, and serve because that's what he came from. And until that is rectified somewhere, society fixes that, that's the way it's going to be. Now, Philemon has the right, he can set him free if he wants. He can do anything he wants to. That's up to Philemon under the law. Paul is going to appeal from the bottom of his heart. He is going to say this in verse number 8, Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient, yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, I beg you, based on love, based on a relationship, based on a right standing that we have with each other and with Christ, He's saying, being such a one as Paul the agent and now also prisoner of Jesus Christ, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. He's come to Christ. He got saved during the time that Paul is in prison, which in time past was to thee unprofitable. Now his name means profitable, but he has been unprofitable because he ran away, stole, but now profitable to thee and to me. So he's fulfilling the meaning of his name. Now, do you know what your name means? Have you fulfilled it? In this case, Onesimus has the opportunity to fulfill the meaning of his name. So he says, receive him. Receive him just like you received me, down deep inside, he says, whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me or served me in the bonds of the gospel. Without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. He's saying, I'm not going to presume. I'm going to send him back to you. He's going to come back to you voluntarily. He's going to come back to you with this letter. And uh, now, Philemon, I know you're going to do the right thing. I know you're going to treat him right. I could, I could, I could press the matter. I'm not going to do that. But I'm going to go, I'm going to go something uh, kind of the other way. Uh, he says in verse 15, you talk about uh, the, the best outcome of this. It says, for perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou shouldest receive him forever. Think about it that way. When you think about uh, Genesis 50 and verse 20, uh, thou menace for evil, but God meant it for good, Joseph said to his brethren. You know, there are many things that happen in this world and you don't understand, but Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. How many of you believe that tonight? So anything that's happened to you that you didn't like, that wasn't the way you planned it, that you think is just awful, horrific, terrible, somebody treating you wrong, some situation going against you, going wrong, guess what? God already knew that it was going to happen. God already knew that person was going to treat you that way. God already knew how you were going to feel. And all things do work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to His purpose. Memorize it, say it over and over and over again. Romans 8, 28. I believe Romans 8, 28. And if you don't believe it, then cut it out of your Bible because you're not a Bible believer. If you don't believe every word of it, it's absolutely true. And so it was a God thing that Onesimus runs away, ends up in Rome, gets saved, goes back with this letter. We now have it in the New Testament and we have these two in teaching, these two important teachings. Number one, identification with Christ. Number two, imputation on Christ's uh, behalf because of Christ's account, because Christ paid the debt. There it is. And uh, that, is, that is absolutely fantastic. You know, the attributes of the Lord are seen embodied in the person of Jesus Christ, but also those 
who say, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So I wonder what attribute is showing, you know, through the surface, through the skin today. Which attribute of God that was embodied in Jesus Christ as he walked this earth 2,000 years ago, what attribute of Christ's is shown in your life and mine today? Perhaps several of them. Whatever they are, let Christ be seen. Let Jesus be seen in you and me. Onesimus, just a sinner, but a sinner saved by grace. Once unprofitable, now profitable. This is a beautiful, beautiful picture of redemption through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Christ found you and me as a runaway slave, as lawbreakers, as rebels against the truth, against that which is right. And he, he summarily forgave us on his own account and identified us with himself, went to the cross, paid the debt in full. This is the great doctrine of imputation. This is the doctrine to put on one's account, to account it differently than what we actually did, to account it as God sees it now because of Jesus Christ's intervention. Think about that tonight. Think about that, my friend. You and I have this wonderful experience, and it's been made crystal clear in this little letter of Paul to Philemon. Will you bow your head and close your eyes? Every head bowed, every eye closed, and nobody looking. And how many of you tonight would say, Preacher, something wonderful was revealed to me or reviewed for me tonight in the book of Philemon. Raise your hand up high. Come on. Something revealed or something reviewed. Amen. Aren't you glad? We ought to thank God for it. And tonight, as the invitation is extended, won't you come and have a word of prayer and thank the Lord that He identifies with us. We identify with Him. He has imputed our sinfulness to Himself and His righteousness to us in return. It's an accounting that He has done based on His finished work. If you do not know Jesus Christ as Savior for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord right now, would you pray from your heart to God? Something like this, Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. And right now I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. And if you